I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I'm glad you're with us this morning. We are entering uh, part two of a series that we're doing and entitled Countercultural. As we've headed into an election series, what inspired all this is we headed into these elections this fall. It's occurred to me, watching ads, watching debates and other things, not everybody around the country thinks like we do in the Bible Belt South. Has anybody else noticed that? Okay, yeah. Well, all of a sudden I'm realizing... Wow. I mean, on some things that when I was a kid, we were all pretty much in agreement with, I would think, or as a culture, we're departing from that. Well, what's it going to be like in the future? And how am I supposed to live? Our culture continues uh, farther and farther away from biblical principles. How would I live? The great news is the Bible gives us is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We say that all the time here. The Bible even gives us guidance how to live in a culture when a culture is departing from God's will, where our culture is completely hostile to the things of God. And so we've been looking at different, we're looking at different characters in this series. Last week we looked at Daniel, who got it right. Today inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline of a gentleman named Lot, who got it wrong. Okay, if you need a pen, please raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you if you want to take some notes. And it's worth taking notes on this. And the reason why uh, we study this is, well, why would we want to study somebody who got it wrong? Well, the same reason that when a plane crashes or other things, the uh, transportation and safety board, they get together and they reassemble the FAA and others. They all get together and they reassemble these uh, pieces to the crashed airplane and they see once what went wrong. And that way, if a part needs to be redesigned or a new process needs to be put in place to prevent the accident from happening again, they can make sure such things never happen again. The same thing's true in the Bible when we study the life of a person like Lot, where uh, we're going to learn some things we want to avoid. Last week, we talked about things from Daniel that we want to copy. Today, if we're going to be countercultural, we're going to fill up this board here this morning, this tablet this morning on uh, talking about some things we want to stay away from, some things we want to make sure that we do well or do differently. So today, we're going to learn a little about Lot. Brunch. Anyway, um, yeah, they didn't laugh at 8 o'clock either. There we go. Hey, all those who are joining us via the World Wide Web, we're glad. Um, we can learn a lot about Lot, or Lot has lots to teach us. We can go anywhere you want, or, I, or we can just move on. Let's move on. So, point one, Abraham's nephew, uh, and Abram had his name changed from Abram to Abraham, and so that's not a typo, just at this place in the story. In Genesis 13, his name hadn't been changed yet. Abram's nephew, Lot, selfishly moved his family into a sinful culture in order to get ahead. And that's what you're going to see here is a guy who compromised. And it brought about great wreckage. So I'm going to have a word of prayer and ask God to bless us today. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you, and I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. When we look at somebody who kind of, well, who compromised with his culture and brought about great pain, I pray, Lord, that we could learn from the mistakes in Lot's life and do some things different in our own. So move me out of the way, Lord. Convince us of the things we need to hear and things that we need to consider in our own lives so we can be honest and wonderful witnesses for you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Abram and Lot uh, were in the promised land. God had called Abram to go, and he would give him that land. It was land promised to him, the land of Israel. Well, his nephew Lot traveled with him. They both became wealthy. And in those days, if you were wealthy, it meant you had lots of flocks and lots of herds. You had lots of animals. The problem came about that both of them had so many flocks and herds, there wasn't enough grass to graze or enough wells. There weren't enough wells around to water all the animals, so their herdsmen got into fights. Genesis 13, we're jumping into the solution that Abram came up with. Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to be 
come between us or our herdsmen. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. So Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley, and he chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. So Lot is choosing an area where he can graze his flocks, lots of water, lots of green grass. He can make a lot of money and multiply his flocks and herds. But it will mean that if he moves his tents there, that he's going to have to compromise with a sinful culture. This is taking a job with some people of very questionable character involved in a business that you don't approve of or with methods that will most likely cause you to compromise your Christian beliefs. Here's an important note. Compromise with a sinful culture is a slippery slope. And if you and I are going to live in a culture that is departing from uh, Christian values, the important thing, if we're going to be countercultural, then we have to make sure that we don't compromise. Now, this presupposes we know what a Christian believes anyway. And now you understand why it's important to read our Bibles and it's important to be a part of a a small group and other things where we can develop our own convictions to make sure we know what's right in the first place so we don't get led into compromise. But compromise uh, with a sinful culture, it's a slippery slope. Psalm 1 kind of describes how it works. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Walking, standing, sitting. That's the way compromise happens. Lot just moved his tents near Sodom here. We find that in Genesis 13, 13. In the next few verses, you'll see when we catch up to him a few years later, not only did he live near Sodom, he moved in. Rose up to a high position in the city. That's the way it can happen in our lives too. We start off with small compromises and they lead to more. I'll never forget when I was in high school. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I uh, paid for my first car uh, in high school when I was a sophomore. I helped my dad. I grew up on a farm in Kansas, helped my dad harvest the wheat crop and other things. And after his harvesting was done, I said, Dad, can I go work for a month with a harvest crew where they loved to hire farm kids like myself who would work from sunup to sundown and had familiarity with driving trucks and combines and things. And And so they'd hire us to drive us heavy equipment and harvest these big fields that are a mile square out in western Kansas and eastern Colorado. And so for the next month, worked every day all the time, and there's nothing to spend your money on because you're working all the time, so you save it all up. And that's what I did for a month. And so cut wheat in western Kansas and then barley in eastern Colorado. The barley is used to brew Coors beer. That's what they store it up for. Well, um you may find it hard to believe, but the people who run those elevators over there for Coors Beer and other things are not known for their flowery speech or Bible study. Okay. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it works. Um, some of them, as a matter of fact, cuss the wallpaper off a wall. I mean, they just could cuss. And so after hanging around with all these people for a month, I came home from this experience, had enough money to pay for this car that I wanted to get. And, um, I remember walking into my mom's house, our farmhouse, in my mom's kitchen, and something had gone wrong that day, and I let out a couple of expletives that she had never heard me say before. I'd never used that kind of language in her kitchen. And my mom, I outweighed her by 75 pounds, but you wouldn't have known it then. She grabbed me by the ear, and she drug me out to the barn, and she said, if you're going to talk like that, you can live out here with the animals. 
oh, you are not ever going to use that language in my kitchen again. Is that understood? And there was only one right answer. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I would like my ear back. Okay. She made it clear. And she goes, where did you learn to talk that way? I had to think about it. Walking, standing, sitting. Never met an alcoholic yet who said, hey, that was my goal when I was 13. I said, I'm going to grow up, and by the time I'm 45, I'm going to be a stumble-down drunk and lose my job. That's my goal. Nobody says that. Or if I meet a workaholic, somebody who's risen up the ranks, they're working 80, 90 hours a week. Hey, I'm going to become such a success and work so hard that my wife leaves me, my kids won't talk to me, and I'll be all alone when I die. That's my goal. Who does that? Nobody does that. But it's one decision and then another. One compromise. That's eh, too much. I'll do it anyway, just this once. You see how it goes. Welcome to the story of Lot. Welcome to the story of compromise. With a culture that's going away from God. Now remember, if we're going to live counterculturally, we have to learn from this mistake. Not copy it. Don't think I'm endorsing that. I'm saying just the opposite. But Lot is going down the wrong road, and he's gaining speed. That's Genesis 13. And then that brings us to point two. Lot compromised. Lot did compromise with the sinful culture around him. And I'm suggesting we do exactly the opposite. Point A, there are three things I want to bring out of that. Lot didn't influence his culture as much as his culture influenced him. Now remember, as we go through this, Lot's going to pitch his tents near Sodom, and we'll see in a little bit here now that he's gotten involved in the city. In fact, let's go there, right there, and I'll clarify something. There were two angels that came to the entrance of the city of Sodom, and I'll explain that later. But Lot was sitting there when he saw them. He stood up to meet them, and then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come into my home, wash your feet, be my guest for the night. Oh, no, they replied, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted, so at last they went home with him. Let me just stop for a little bit. When you walked into a city, uh, the people sitting at the gate or at the entrance to the city were the city leaders. If you go to a gas pump and fill up your car, there'll be a little sticker. You may not have noticed it, but on every gas pump, the agriculture department, the secretary of agriculture for the state, has certified that this gas pump has been measured so they pump a gallon of gas into a gallon container, an official gallon container, and make sure that a gallon is a gallon. When we do business like this, we're counting on people in our city governments, our state governments, our national governments, to make sure that people are practicing honest trade. Well, it was no different in those days. But you didn't have a centralized government or state governments. You had city-states, where each city was pretty much on its own. So who was going to check the merchandise when the traveling merchants came in with a mule train or a wagon full of goods that they were going to sell, who's checking this stuff? Well, it would be the leaders of the city. And so they would sit at the city gate and greet all the strangers. And they'd say, who are you and what is your business here? If you're going to sell stuff, let me see it. If you're going to weigh stuff out, show us your scales. And they'd have an official weight for the city and they'd try it out to see if the stranger's weight measured their weight, the same as their weight. And that was up to the city fathers or the leaders. Well, the fact that when the angels walk into the city, Lot is there greeting them shows that he has not only moved into, into Sodom, but he's 
risen to a pretty high level of influence, at least monetarily. The question is, has he influenced them morally? And we're about to see. So the angels have been sent by God. God has heard a report of how wicked Sodom has become. And they are to investigate if this place is really as wicked as the reports that have reached him. And so they said, no, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted, so they went home with him. Uh, I mean, this was a sign of Middle Eastern hospitality, and Lot's doing the right thing. But here's what happened. It takes a real sinister twist. But Lot insisted, so they went home with him. Before the, they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. And so Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me, let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. Oof. Sodom is very wicked. And by Lot's response, you can see that, I mean, I don't care what justification you move, you could use, Maybe he was, you'll find out in a minute, his daughters had fiancés. Maybe he was trying to get them to come to his rescue by offering his daughters or whatever. I mean, you could try to justify this, but this is just a horrible rescue attempt. And you'll see that it's not received well at all, but the place is very wicked, great immorality, great sin. And here's what happened. Please leave these men alone for they're my guests under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider and now he's acting like our judge. You don't get the idea that uh, there'd been a principled statement of beliefs or a principled lifestyle and lot all along. You get the idea, all of a sudden they're going, hey, what's this? What's this? Where did this come from? Where's this been? And all of a sudden there's a big surprise here. Who, are, who do you think you are? We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door, but the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, bolted the door, then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in this city, they asked? Get them out of this place. The outcry of this place is so great, it's reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city, the Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. So the question is, has Lot had any influence on his culture or has his culture influenced him? Well, I mean, the young men that were going to marry his daughters, when he told them about God's righteous judgment of sin, apparently they'd never heard that before. They thought he was joking. What are you, what are you talking about? And where does this come from? And so you don't get the idea that Lot had influenced his culture at all, but it had just been the other way around. And that brings us to a life application. To make a difference in our culture, we must be different, or we must live differently. I mean, to make a difference, there has to be a difference. I hope I'm not going too fast for anybody here. But you understand how we can rationalize things. We rationalize things all the time. I can live the same and be different. And we don't just do this in our spiritual life. We know that we should eat healthier than we do. I can eat whatever I want and still lose weight. We try that one all the time. 
and we turn sideways and hold our breath, but then we discover we can't hold our breath the rest of the day. And sooner or later, we have to admit, hey, I can't eat whatever I want and lose weight. I can't live however I want and be a godly witness. That won't work. If I want to make a difference, I have to live differently. And if our culture is departing from God's will, that means if I'm going to live differently, I don't. Well, Lot had made no such decision, and he was departing. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, listen to those titles, aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And glorify God on the day of judgment. You know what happened when Lot was announcing God's judgment? The people weren't glorifying God. The fiancés weren't going, oh, thank God you told us, Lot. We'll go with you. Thank God you warned us. We know that you've been serious about this all along. In fact, what happened when he told them God's judgment was coming, they laughed at him. And the men of the city said, who do you think you are? And what's this change all of a sudden? I mean, if I've been this person who lives the same as everybody else, and now all of a sudden one day I start going, hey, there's a problem here. Who's going to take me seriously? And that's a question for us today, just as much as it was for a lot. If we're living in a culture that's departing away from biblical values and from Christian beliefs, that doesn't mean we have to join them. Lot selfishly did this to get ahead. We're learning from his life, that's not the way to go. I don't need to compromise. It's okay to live differently. So Lot um, lost his influence. He also lost his position, his point B, his possessions, and his wife, because God's judgment did come. Hurry, the angel said to Lot, take your wife, your two daughters who are here. Get out right now, or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. And when Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. I mean, you get the idea that Lot is sitting there, the angels are going, hey, do you have anybody you can tell? He tells them they won't listen. He comes back and goes, I can't get him to come with me. The angels grab his hands, let's go. And Lot's hesitating. You know, he's trying to grab some furniture maybe or a bag of of gold or maybe a painting off the wall and he's hesitating what do i do and the angels go we have to go leave it go and when the lot still hesitated the angel seized his hand the hands of his of his wife his two daughters and they rushed him to safety outside the city for the lord was merciful when they were safely outside the city one of the angels ordered run for your lives don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley And then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Here's a life application. We must love God more than we love the things our culture gives us. We must love God. We need to love God More. More than what? Anything else. If we're living in a culture that's departing from God's ways, God wants us to trust Him more and to demonstrate to everybody God still takes first place in my life. 
We saw it last week with Daniel. He did this. Lot hesitated. He was convinced what the angels said were true was true, but he still kind of wanted to be in both worlds at the same time. I want to obey God, but I don't want to leave all my stuff. And they're going, run! Lot's wife, she looked back. Here are a couple of scriptures that apply to this. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Do not love the world or the things that it offers you. This is 1 John 2. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements, possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from this world. And this world's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I mean, we do have a choice here in this world to say, are we going to value the things of the world? Are we going to compromise our beliefs to get ahead if that's where the culture's going? Because pride and possessions, power, these things are appealing to us, and they do have their pleasure for a season. But as we, gonna, as we're gonna, as we saw in Lot's life here, all of his position at the gate, well, there was no gate. All of his possessions, they were all destroyed. Even his wife lost her life on this. Jesus talked about this. He said, remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you let your life go, you'll save it. Jesus talked about Lot's wife as a real woman, a real person. Jesus did. If somebody ever tells you, well, that's just made up. That never happened. That's not the way Jesus talked about it. And by the way, what it says there is that she had fallen behind everybody else. And you get the idea. It wasn't just a casual glance backward. This was the idea that everybody's headed out to get away and she's slowly going behind and she's looking back and maybe she even tried to go back. And the reason she turned to a pillar of salt when all this happened, the conflagration came down, she was killed and everybody else got away. Turned to ash right there. Are you and I loving God more than anything else? It's one thing to sing it on a Sunday morning when we're singing a praise song. It's another thing to really count the cost of that and say, no, God, I do love you more than anything else. And I'm not going to compromise my convictions just to get ahead. I'm going to live differently. And I'm going to love you more than anything else. And I'm proud that people know that I'm a believer. And I put you first. Lot chose the wrong way, and he paid dearly for it. Lot lost his influence. He lost his position, his possessions, and his wife. And finally, Lot's compromise with his culture impacted his kids. It did. Impacted his kids. After they escaped, Lot and his two daughters went to live in a cave in the mountains. And one day, the older daughter said to her sister... There isn't a man anywhere in this entire area for us to marry. Our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and then we will sleep with him, and that way we will preserve our family line through our father. And that's what they both did. And that means exactly what you think it means. And you go, how in the world could these girls do something that wicked and that abominable? Well, they graduated from Sodom High School. I mean, they did. If all the men of the town are coming to do what they were going to do, what do you think it was like at Sodom High? 
I don't want to know. But do you understand, when Lot was making choices to pitch his tent near Sodom, and then he made money, and man, if I move in there, I can climb to a high position. We can have all this power and all this money and all this stuff. You don't think that had an influence on his daughters? And when Lot made all these decisions, he was thinking about his kids' spiritual welfare and what kind of reputation and legacy that would leave his grandchildren. The Moabites and the Ammonites, by the way, who became sworn enemies, the descendants of Lot became sworn enemies to the descendants of Uncle Abraham who'd been so good to him. But I'm going to tell you right now, when Lot looked over the Jordan Valley and saw the good crops he didn't, and all the green grass and how his flocks could grow and he could make a fortune, he wasn't thinking about the welfare of his kids. He wasn't thinking about the impact on his wife. And so here's a life application for you and me. How we relate to our culture necessarily impacts others. You and I have to think, we have to ask ourselves this question. How do my choices impact others? I have to ask that question. So do you. I have to live in this culture. God wants us involved in this culture. He wants us to be people of influence. He doesn't want the culture to change us. He wants us to be salt and light to influence a dark culture around us that's lost its flavor. But how I make choices on this, this is going to impact others. And we live in a society where people say this stuff all the time. I hear it all the time. Hey, it's my choice. It's about me. It doesn't impact anybody else. Really? You don't have any family? You don't have any friends? You don't have any children? So your sinful choices are just yours? Do you honestly believe that? I mean, I talk to men all the time and they're struggling with pornography and I go, where did you get exposed to pornography? Well, my dad kept a big stack of Playboys under his bed in his bedroom. That's where I first got exposed to it. The dad's choices impacted their sons. Talk to people that have struggled with alcoholism. When did you start struggling with alcohol? Well, my mom always wanted to kind of be a friend to me and my friends in high school, so she would always buy us beer and other things, even when we were underage, and she'd have parties at our house. She wanted to be the cool mom. Mom's choices impacted her kids. Here's a shocker. We don't live in a vacuum. Lot's choices impacted his kids. And as we're living in a culture that's drifting away, our choices will impact our kids. Now, it can be for the good, too. I meet some very godly people, and I go, where did you learn? They know the Bible inside now, and I go, where did you learn the Bible? My mom had devotions for us every morning. My dad insisted we read the Bible, and he made sure we knew how to use it. It can happen both ways. I know people there are so angry at their dad, Dad was never home. Gave him lots of nice stuff, but he's never home. I mean, I can sing Cats in the Cradle for you right now if you want me to. And, well, I'll leave crying, okay? But we understand this, right? I mean, the reason we're going over the story of Lot is he compromised. He didn't live differently. He didn't love God more. At least there's no way that anybody could recognize 
And he didn't consider how his choices would impact his family and friends. Don't do those things. Let's live the opposite way so we don't crash and burn. Now there's one more aspect. This, oh, by the way, a scriptural support for that is, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15.33. I mean, we're back to the walk, stand, sit. And to think that we can be immune to that, we can compromise with our culture without our culture influencing us is ridiculous. We need to be live in the world but not be of it. There is a way to do that, but that's important that we stick close to God and we get Christians to support, we support each other. Now, point three, I want to draw one other aspect of this real quickly. God rescued Lot and his family because of Abram's prayers. The angels did grab Lot's hand, his wife's hand, his daughter's hands, two angels. Each of them, one of them had Lot and his wife. The other one had the two daughters. We're running and they're running. You throw that junk away. Let's go. And they ran. Well, why did that happen? Well, if you go back, that was Genesis 19 and Genesis 18 we see that God had told Abram what he was, Abraham what he was about to do. He said, I'm sending down some angels to see if what the reports I've heard about Sodom are as bad as they are. I'm going to give them a chance to demonstrate this. So the Lord told Abram, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going, to, going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. And Abram approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living in there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Should not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the entire city for their sake. God is not interested in destroying people. He said, look, for the sake of, the whole, for the sake of 50, I'll spare the whole city. And Abraham had been thinking, well, Lot's lived there for a while. Abram knew Lot. He'd actually rescued Lot and his family once when Sodom had been conquered in a military victory. Lot went and rescued them, rescued the whole city with his hired men. He knew exactly how wicked the place was. They'd tried to offer him a reward, and Abram said, you keep it. I don't want anything from you people. He knew exactly how wicked they were. But he was still talking to God, pleading, if there's only 50, will you save the city? And the Lord said, of course. God's not interested in destroying people. He's interested in saving people. The question is, does anybody want to be saved? And he thought about, Abram thought about, after he'd made that request, the Lord said, okay, man, I don't know. Lot probably didn't have that big an influence. So he went back and he said, then Abram spoke again. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. And the Lord said, okay. And if you read all Genesis 18, I'm just condensing it here. He went back a third time. And he said, well, what if there's only 30? Only 20. And finally, he went back to him one more time. He says, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. Because there's Lot and his wife. Let's suppose they each had a friend. And there's two daughters. And they each have a fiance. That's eight. And you might get a two thrown in for free. Because he's knowing that Lot doesn't stand for much. Suppose there's only 10. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. But you saw the city was destroyed. In Genesis 19, I threw this after this, it said the reason that God spared Lot and his children was because God had listened to Abram's request and kept Lot safe, removing from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. The reason Lot had been spared is because Abram spoke to God about that. When we speak to God about people and our concerns for them, that's called prayer. So here's a life application for us. 
we must keep praying for the salvation of lost sinners in our culture. Abraham is going back again and again to God. God, will you please save the city? If there's only 50, if there's only 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, Lord, please, please. I mean, would that characterize you and me as we see our culture heading farther and farther away? We are pleading with God for the chance to help tell people about Christ. We are pleading that righteousness will be restored. We are pleading that God will save people and that he'll allow us to be an influence for them. That's what we're doing? Or are we just going, ah, I don't care? Are we asking the politicians to lead us in this? This is a challenge for us as Christians. Listen how, now listen to 1 Timothy 2, where Paul is talking to Timothy. I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. That's what you get the idea Abram was doing. God, if there's only 50, don't let the culture be destroyed. If you and I are worried about our culture, is this the way we pray? Because we want people to come to Christ? Do we even think like this? Timothy, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all those in authority. Listen to why. So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. If I'm going to live in a culture that's departing from godly values, then I need to pray for salvation. Rescue. Righteousness. So do you. I mean, that's what Paul's telling Timothy, and that's why you pray for the kings, so that we can live lives of no compromise. We can live differently. We can love God more. We can show, we can make good choices, and so people will come to recognize God, because this is God's will. Second Peter 2.9, does it really work? Well, Peter's reminding his audience God also rescued Lot out of Sodom. The Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. If you and I have a nephew, if you and I have a cousin who is compromised with the culture and is going the wrong way, don't quit praying. Don't quit praying. Please don't quit praying. Do you know why Lot was saved? Because of Abram, Abraham, his righteous uncle, interceded on his behalf. And the Lord knew how to rescue him. He sent angels to drag him out by the hand. The Lord is being patient for your sake, Peter went on to say. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And the question for you and me this morning is, would we embrace that attitude that Abraham had? Will we pray for salvation of our nation? Will we think about how our choices impact others and not just how it helps our bottom line? Will we love God more than anything else? Are we willing to live differently and not just fit in? Are we willing to stay away from compromise? We live in a time when our culture is drifting farther and farther away from Christian values. This is the best time for Christians to stand up and live out our faith. It's what Jesus calls us to do. Lot did not, and he paid a terrible price. If we do what's right, then God will bless us. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the Bible. Lord, I thank you for the stories we can learn. We can learn how to live righteously. 
even in an unrighteous day. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the things we've heard today, that we will stand for what's right, even when others don't. Father, that we will pray more, not less. If the Lord has spoken to you today about something on your heart, and laid something on your heart today, about maybe praying for someone, about making a difficult decision, about living out your faith intentionally, would you respond to that and say, Lord, I heard you. Just silently where you are, Lord, I heard you. I want to be who you want me to be. Keep me far from the mistakes that Lot made. I want to live for you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.